0: Welcome to Canucks Talk. Josh Elliott-Wolf here with you, along with my co-host, Thomas Drantz. I'm filling in for Jamie Dodd here on the show, coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sorefeet, what are you waiting for? Get your texts in, 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. And uh, by the way, Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at D-L-E-A-M-C dot com. I am in the uh, Vancouver studios on Ash Street. Drance, you're in Seattle. How's uh, how's Seattle?
1: I am in Seattle. Beautiful day Uh, down the I-5 and looking forward to an interesting game tonight. Lots to get into once we open up the whiteboard.
0: There definitely is. And uh, yeah, a lot to to get into from Morning Skate as well. So why don't we get right into it? It's uh, time for the whiteboard.
1: All right now, fellas. Hey, let's focus up, huh?
0: It is the Whiteboard, your daily deep dive into what's up with the Canucks. And uh, headlines, we will start there. Canucks looking to avoid their fourth straight loss taken on the Kraken tonight in Seattle. And uh, news and notes from Morning Skate, including a couple uh, a couple shakeups, both in the lineup and on the power play. Let's uh, do. You want to start with the top six shakeup or the power play shakeup?
1: Well, so we tend to do that in lineup notes. So Fair let's enough. let's start. Not to not to be like, hey man, wait a minute. I was like, <laughs> slow down headlines. here. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Uh, yeah, I mean, arshdeep Baines goes to the top six is definitely a headline. Let's get into the power play later. Let's start with Baines. We, you know, spent most of the show yesterday discussing his NHL debut and in particular noting that the areas that he excelled at, right? The way that he, you know, busted his hump in the defensive zone in combination with the reads, the details, the positioning, um, you know, I, I really thought that he'd played the sort of game that would catch Rick Tockett's eye that Rick Tockett was likely to reward with more looks simply because that's the stuff Rick Tockett values, Right. Uh, structural adherence, on ice awareness like the way that he was scanning the stops and starts in particular which require a ton of energy that that intensity and passion that he played with and the way that it was calibrated to be reliable, just like a reliable structured game. I thought that was going to catch Rick Tockett's eye it certainly caught mine and and so it ha- so it so it did like uh, th- the f- Baines took warm-ups or, or the morning skate. Um, line rushes in the morning skate with JT Miller and Brock Besser. Looks like he's going to get a top six look in his second NHL game. What an incredible opportunity for the young man.
0: And we talk a lot about, so when, when someone like this makes their debut, especially rookie debut in the NHL, it's like, Hey, they're riding this adrenaline for a few games. Who knows what it'll be after that. But one thing I think is kind of interesting is like, Hey, yes, he's riding adrenaline. Who knows what he'll be long-term, but Capitalize on that if if you can mm. if he if he's looking at least reliable in that first game like I think he did uh, and he, he had moments of of looking dangerous and also J T Miller I think in these past couple of games along with Brock Besser have looked pretty good I don't know if Pew Suter has played a big role in that so so I do wonder what Baines will be able to do with those two guys and it's uh definitely definitely a deserved look after that first game but both this and I will say the the Getting in the game in Colorado, both very surprising to me, but I'm
1: excited. Yeah, you know, I I do think too one thing to note is like there's a there's this type of player that you need to have on a really good team. Um that like Michael Amadio tier of guy. And mm. they're not a driver, but they're capable of hanging with you know, really good players in a top six or middle six role without taking anything off the table. They contribute positively. They're not driving the results, but they're not a drag. And and it allows you to fatten up your lineup a bit. You know, with Hoaglander-Suter in the Canucks top six now and Dakota Joshua Hurt, uh, the Canucks bottom six was starting to look a little bit patchy. A- and throwing Pew suter down into Joshua's spot and seeing if you can get you know, something more like what the Garland-Joshua-Blueger line was giving this team on an every-game basis, and that's been their best five-on-five line all season, you know, that to me makes sense too, right? Baines goes up and gets the opportunity, and this is certainly about him, but I also think it allows the Canucks to drop, you know, certainly their, probably their fifth-best forward this season, maybe maybe fifth or sixth-best forward this season, back into the bottom six to try and get a really important line for them going again.
0: Yeah, and that, that's part of it as well. So Suter moving down to the third line with Bluger and Garland. And I do wonder, because like, they have Mikheyev there for the past few games, and, and it's been difficult. I mean, we saw Baines there last game, and, and it was more invigorated than it had been with Ilya Mikheyev there. So I wonder if Suter is, is more of a fit. It, it's really hard to replicate what Dakota Joshua was bringing and I I don't think they have any player really in the organization who who can to the same extent but uh in terms of just overall impact I I do wonder what Suter can do there with Bluger and Garland
1: yeah Suter kills it wherever you put him and and that team just needs or that line just needs something more like it's it's previous push uh you're right there's no replacing Joshua's really unique speed size physicality touch down low combination um there's no replacing his penalty killing but i i do think if baines can hold his own on that second line uh suitor definitely right now gives you a better bet of having a third line that can control play in my view than baines does in that spot or than Mikhaev does in that spot uh much less lafferty and, and company so i i do think this is a, a worthwhile shot to try and you know, give a young player who's earned it a look and fatten your forward group overall.
0: Uh, so we'll get into the power play shakeup later in the
1: whiteboard, but uh, Canucks... I think the other the other headline we got to get into, Josh, is just Canucks look to break three-game losing streak, right? Yes. And, and, you know, one thing we go through over the course of a long 82-game season, and it's a long season, right, is you try and use games opportunities situations to to learn about a team and that's especially important in the case of a team that's certainly playoff bound and that based on their actions you know trading a first plus plus for Elias Lindholm um, you know has some aspirations of making noise once they get there and well you know this is a pretty key learning opportunity for, for observers about this Canucks group because this is a situation we actually somehow haven't seen yet uh, across nearly, you know, well, more than 50 games. um Well, not, yeah, more than 50 yeah. games. It, we haven't seen the Canucks face a game on a three-game losing streak. We haven't seen them have to, you know, dig deep as a tired team on the road against a rested opponent that's played pretty good hockey of late, although uh, they've s- slacked a bit over the course of the past two weeks um, and try and sort of pull out of a skid, right? Pull out of a, of a you know, not a nosedive, that's too dramatic, but certainly a downturn in results over the course of the past four or five days. So this to me is, is one of those that's, like, I'm excited. I think the Canucks are going to come out hot. I think they're going to want to win this game very, very badly. And we know that the Kraken are fighting for their playoff lives. Intense hockey is good hockey. Uh, I'm really hopeful that we're going to see you know, a cage match tonight, something exciting.
0: And that's what I was going to say. The the Kraken, they're also like they're pushing for the playoffs. They're a desperate team as well. Obviously a different situation than the Canucks, but they, they're pushing a lot. We've been trying to make this rivalry happen, and I feel like this is a, another log on the fire, you know, like if it, if it works.
1: This rivalry is fetch. Yeah. We're trying to make <laughs> yeah, it happen. We're trying to make
0: it happen, and it's, just, it's never going to happen, but maybe it actually <laughs> does tonight. We'll see. Um, yeah, let's hope so. Uh, on to the broadsheet. Are we? Are we get to move on to the broadsheet? We sorry. We are. I apologize. <laughs> okay. Thank you. I, I'm not. Ba-
1: I'm done backseat driving. <laughs> okay.
0: All good. Um, I will say it's been it's been really quiet around the Canucks lately in terms of like there's no rumors that are specifically directly related to them. Honestly, around the NHL, we're 15 days away from the deadline. Not it's not popping around the league at the moment. Um, Friedman did have something in the 32 thoughts blog. Um, That he released last night and kind of the main takeaways from it were Kyle Dubas talking about the Penguins. They want to get younger. One guy that he mentioned that I thought would be an interesting potential target for for the Canucks was uh, Tommy Novak out of Nashville said he may be available. Predators kind of want to resign him, but it's a weird situation. Uh, pending yeah. UFA, play center, 43 points in 51 games last year, 28 and 45 this year. What would you think of that kind of potential fit if Vancouver did look at him?
1: So Tommy Novak is a long-term guy of mine, like one of my guys. Mm-hmm. And and built-in chemistry with a, with a certain Canucks star player, given that he was his USHL linemate back in 2015 and they crushed it together for the Waterloo, uh, I think it's Blackhawks, the Waterloo Blackhawks. Brock Besser and Tommy Novak were like the best line in the USHL uh, a decade ago. Um, Novak's sick, like skilled, affordable, uh, really interesting contractual situation given that he's such a late bloomer. I think there's not just a chance that the team that acquires Tommy Novak gets, uh, you know, a player that I think's a top six caliber guy uh, at 800K for the rest of the season, but also the opportunity to sign a guy that I think's a top six caliber guy at a reduced rate, given the fact that his track record is so shallow. He he wasn't really like an everyday NHL player I- until the age of twenty five. So, I mean, I'm all aboard. Gung ho on the on the Tommy Novak train if the Canucks can pull that off. And and Nashville's a fascinating one here, right? Like their team down in the American League, the Milwaukee Admirals, who I went and saw this weekend in Winnipeg, um They are, like, they've barely lost a game in the new year. They're the best team in hockey, Mm -hmm. uh, in the AHL anyway. Um, Historic stuff from them. And they've got, you know, a ton of guys who are going to need looks in the NHL, right? Like, and and one of them, by the way, is Askarov. Their goaltender, absolute monster. There's nothing more for him to learn in the AHL. Like, they absolutely have to. Design a path for that guy to get 40 starts in the NHL minimum, like 30, 30 to 40 starts next year. Well, they have UC Soros. Like, how do you design He's pretty good a too. path? Yeah, how do yeah. you design a path for Askarov to graduate without impinging on a Vesna caliber goaltender? And then you sort of get into the what could Nashville get as a haul at the deadline, given that you've got like Novak, 800K, Soros, one of the best goalies on the market, Carrier a really good right-handed puck moving defender capable of playing top four minutes and helping your PK for 1.8. Like if you bundle those guys together, aren't you addressing literally every single need that like the Edmonton Oilers or the New Jersey Devils or the LA Kings Mm -hmm. um, have like, what are those teams? What would those teams be willing to pay the predators for a package like that? I mean, that to me is where this gets really fascinating. Like the Nashville predators, if they decide to sell here, Could be a godfather team ahead of the deadline uh, in terms of making, you know, shaping what this all looks like. Uh, You know, there's a lot of players there that I really like. Uh, Let me give you another one, too. Another guy that I like is is, as a top six gamble. And he was excellent in the playoffs last year. Uh, Probably the best player for the Minnesota Wild against the... Dallas Stars and is currently in Nashville where he's playing with uh, the Ryan O'Reilly line and Philip Forsberg and, and having a great time, like really being additive on that line. Uh, Gus Nyquist. Yeah. Gus Nyquist is the other guy who I find it immediately uh, or enormously interesting from that, from that Predators team. So what the Predators decide to do here ahead of the deadline is a fascinating one to watch. And Tommy Novak to the Canucks, I mean, to me, that's, you know, Almost an ideal fit, especially given that he's got some familiarity, has played in the past with, you know, one of the players uh, in Vancouver's top six. Uh, Move him to center, you could play JT Miller on the wing, right? They could kind of alternate. Miller would sort of help offset some of Novak's, um, you know, not defensive issues, but that's not where he's a difference maker. He's a difference maker as a skilled player. Um, You know, there's a fit there that makes a ton of sense to me.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I do wonder, like you mentioned the, the value in Novak, so I just wonder where his price is going to end up in a trade. But again, he's such a such a unique situation that it's kind of hard to to decipher what GMs would be willing to give up for a player like that. Uh, and obviously in the summer, what that contract is going to be like as well. He, he kind of feels like a guy that's just going to get one of those Tampa Bay contracts where it's like long-term, but not as much money on the AV. but...
1: Oh, that's the best type of contract. It's the like best four type. years, four years, three million or something for a guy who I think can be a 40, 45 point second line center. I mean, that's, that's a potential home run. So yeah, I mean, sign me up for Novak, sign me up for Alexandra Carrier. Uh, and I won't be surprised either. If we see, we hear some Soros rumblings in the next couple of weeks, given what, what Nashville's got cooking on the farm and the need to sort of, begin to transition to a younger group.
0: Uh, the only other note on rumors around the NHL, word is that the Blues are looking for two first-rounders if they were mo- were to move Pavel <laughs> Buchnevich, which is uh, –
1: that's hefty. That's a lot. Yeah, he's signed next year, though, at a yeah. valuable clip, and it's... he's big and he's real good.
0: Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, On to the lineup notes. So we we talked about it. Arshti Baines taking line rushes with JT Miller and Brock Besser. That pushes Pew Suter down to the third line with Teddy Bluger and Connor Garland. And uh, on the fourth line, Phil DiGiuseppe, the extra Sam Lafferty skating on the fourth line with Niels Oman and Ilya Mikheyev.
1: And no Phil DiGiuseppe. You said that, right? Yeah. So that's interesting to note. Uh, maybe another injury for the Canucks up front looks like Susie and Dakota Joshua uh, skated after practice too in Seattle or with the team in any event. So a, a good sign there, um, given how how much they've been missed. you know, I, I think they've I think their absence has been felt certainly over the course of this three game losing streak, but you know, in Susie's case, really since the all- star break. Um, I just wanted to talk about one thing. The Lindholm. Uh, I was talking about Lindholm's fit or, or sort of growing pains adjusting at five on five to the Canucks, and a lot of texters uh, I noticed when I looked back were like Petterson doesn't elevate his line mates was Ooh. sort of the suggestion. And like did did we not forget that Andre Kuzmenko scored thirty nine goals? <laughs> like, I, it, I it, feel it, like as, the the narrative
0: is... on Petterson is like out of control at the moment
1: it's out of control like do we do, do you just, do people not remember that Ilya mckayev was on like a 50 point pace yeah. last season <laughs> now Dude, he's has, not playing has,
0: with him and oh man he's not very good people want him
1: scratched. has everyone forgotten that you know the the best week of the season that we've seen the most dynamic week of the season we've seen from besser and miller came when when Pettersson was on their wing like I don't. I, this guy elevates absolutely everybody he's ever played with. I, ha, I have no idea where people say stuff like this or where they get it from. It's it's completely counterfactual. The wowies are clear. The data is clear. The basic eye test is clear. Like most superstar players, people people will say stuff like superstar players should elevate their line mates. And it's like you know what else? Those superstar players tend to have superstar linemates.
0: You know, like McKinnon with Miko Rantanen.
1: uh, Go down the list. Yeah, McDavid plays a ton with um, with Dreisaitl, um, Marner with Matthews. um, You know, Gaudreau and Kachuk back in the day. I I mean, most most of the best players in the league happen to play with another one of the best players in the league. Pedersen hasn't had that luxury. He's still top ten in NHL scoring with a bullet. He's still going to probably crest 100 points this year. I mean, what are we talking about? It's ridiculous. It's
0: gotten out of control, for sure. So the uh, power play shakeup that we teased earlier, so Canucks power play in the last three games, one for nine. And what we saw today at Morning Skate was Philip Horonic on the top unit, Elias Lindholm not on the top unit. I'm not going to lie. I kind of hate this. I'm not a huge fan. But I, I guess they were looking for a shakeup. This isn't the shakeup I was anticipating. I thought it would be more of an arrangement thing, but uh Hronik
1: on the top unit. What do you think? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the I'm not a big fan of 2D setups. Yeah. That's you my know, main like, issue with it. Yeah. Two d the problem with two D setups is you concentrate your shots from players who necessarily um who necessarily have a lower shooting percentage, you know, in part because of their shot location. I I think they like the heroic bomb from that left circle. Like I do think and, and and we've seen it work. I mean he had a really nice game on the power play against San Jose in the game they lost, but he was awesome on the power play in that game. So we've seen him be effective in that spot in spurts this season. Um, yeah, I just I, – they do – fixing – trying to figure something out around the perimeter made sense given how few shots Besser, Patterson, and Hughes as a combination were getting through. But I, I don't know if three forwards, 2D is the answer. And I, I actually – it's one of those that I, like, worry about if the team gets a goal or two, do they stick with a suboptimal alignment that ends up hurting them in the long-term? Like it's one of those it's, it could work, but I worry about it long-term. I don't think it's the long-term answer given the personnel in this, in this lineup.
0: And I think you're still trying to, you're still trying to integrate Elias Lindholm, right? And anytime, where he's not on power play one it's it's lost time on trying to integrate him into that unit and i don't know like i i also don't think he was the issue there i guess nobody nope. in particular was the issue it's just a matter of them trying to trying to look for a shakeup but yeah it's i it doesn't feel like a long term fix for me i agree with you and that's that's kind of why i'm not a uh, not super into it but the Canucks look like they're going to roll with that tonight
1: yeah at least they're sticking with to in a predictable spot five on five but at some point we should note too while it hasn't like clicked for long he's been around the lineup for a bit right mm-hmm. he's, he's been on three different forward lines he's played wing center. um yeah he's been stapled to the net front through nine games but um, you know now now he's moving around again it, the power plays an intractable one I understand why they're just sort of groping for answers at this point and I suppose we'll we'll give them some time to figure it out.
0: Uh, we'll move on to the playoff forecast. So only one game of note yesterday in regards to the Canucks and their their playoff odds. Uh, the Oilers get a point against the Bruins. Big comeback for Edmonton. To, yeah, by to the push skin it, of their teeth. Yeah, to push it to overtime. So uh, what the, a great game! Did it you was, watch it? I did. Yeah, it was. Uh, oh, it was such great. a blast! As much Loved as. Like if it happens to be Oilers Bruins in the final, I know people would hate it here in Vancouver, but boy would it be entertaining. Um, yeah,
1: but don't put that evil out. in the No, universe I won't. Point. I would never. Except I just, <laughs> what, did. You just did. I just did. I just <laughs> did. It's <laughs> fine. I take it back. Knock on wood. I, I'm sorry. Uh, I I don't think I don't think people have to worry too much. I think the uh, I think the Florida Panthers are the alpha in that division. Personally, that's just my view. I I think they're going to be able to beat the Bruins come playoff time.
0: Uh, Canucks up to 61% to win the Pacific. Edmonton at 28%. This is according to uh, Dom LeCision's model over at The Athletic. Vegas down to 6%. And uh, for the Western Conference, Canucks, Stars, and Jets all projected for 109 points, which would be top of the Western Conference. Um,
1: In terms of the gambling odds, the Canucks are favored on the road tonight, minus 135. So very narrowly favored. Against the Seattle Kraken, I think that reflects the fact that the Kraken are a far more rested side, having not played since Monday. Uh, the Canucks, of course, played the Avalanche on Tuesday night. Um, the over/under opened at six and a half; it is now steamed down to six, um, and you can get better odds betting the under, of course, on six. Uh, that's an interesting. That's an interesting um, over bet in my view. Uh, six feels a little light given how these teams have played one another in the recent past. So and also, we'll be in-
0: Philip Grubauer Sorry. getting the start for uh, Seattle, who Ooh. he's only played one game since coming back from injury. He did get the win, yep. allowed one goal, but Joey Decord has been a machine, so kind of surprising that Grubauer is getting the start.
1: Yeah, although the Canucks had a lot of success against him. I mean, they scored multiple unscreened wrist shot goals. Like, they, you know. They, they crushed Grubauer when these two teams met earlier in the year. So I do wonder if that maybe played a role in Seattle's goalie decision. Uh, that is the whiteboard. On the other side, Ian
0: McIntyre going to join us later in the show as well. Uh, Allison Lukin, one of our favorites, covers the Kraken. We'll get into everything from the Seattle side with her later on. This is Canucks Talk. Josh Elliott-Wolf, Thomas Trance here on Sportsnet 650.